black, by a mug, by an, anything with that verse thrown on it. And it's often used as the silly clip showed us as the Superman verse. Let's get into our text and see some things we could learn about having the mind of Christ regarding possessions and provisions. <coughs> the first thing I would point out to you is the commendation that Paul gives, the commendation that he pays to them. He praises the Philippians. He has already mentioned it from the very first chapter where he says, you have partnered with me in the gospel from the first day even until now. He recognizes their partnership and in one very real way. It was through material support and through giving. Verse 10, I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now at length you have revived your concern for me. You were indeed concerned for me, but you had no opportunity. And so he's recalling in there that it's been a lapse of time since they've sent him some type of gift, but they had done it numerous times in the past. It would point out a few words in there, the word concern and concerned, often translated care, your care for me hath flourished. You have revived your concern. Two different ways in two different versions. That word, remarkably, is that same word for mind. It's that phroneo word. Your mindset, your attitude, your whole way of thinking has been toward me. And that's revived. It's flourished like trees uh, budding uh, to shoot up, to sprout, grow green again, flourish again. And so Paul is praising them, uh, praising them. He's commending them. It's that same word. Uh, Yodia and Syntyche agree together, have the same mind in the Lord, have that phroneo, if you will, for one another. Same thing he says, that exact same word is what they had toward him. And it is commendable. He recognizes and appreciates their mindset toward giving and particularly to him. And he commends their generosity, not only in verse 10, but in 14 to 16, he says, yet it was kind of you to share my trouble. And you Philippians yourself know that in the beginning of the gospel, when I left Macedonia, no church entered into partnership with me in giving and receiving Except you only. Even in Thessalonica, you sent me help for my needs once and again. And if you were to read more of the scriptures, you would see not only did they do that sometimes when he was in Thessalonica, but they did that in Acts 20, 21, this this one in Acts chapter 17. Later, they would send gifts to Jerusalem. Don't miss that word, except there in verse 16, except you. Church, generosity is commendable. What he was saying to them, in that, and he would not only say it to them, he would also say it to others, using them as an example. You know, what are you saying? You are exceptional. And I praise God that I'm part of a church where there are people who are exceptional in the area of giving, who give 
generously through their tithes, their offerings, through missions, and things like that. It is something that is very commendable. Paul remembers that, and he commends them for it. I made reference in Philippians 1.5, your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. It's not just this latest gift from Epaphroditus, but I rejoiced in the Lord that your care for me, that your ferneo toward me has been revived in this way. I'm so greatly encouraged in my prison cell by the gift sent from Epaphroditus. Look in your Bibles, keep your place in Philippians 4, but look over in 2 Corinthians chapter 8. You may remember that in 2 Corinthians chapter 8 and 9, the Apostle Paul deals a whole lot with uh, uh, giving. But here he says, Paul writing to the Corinthians, 2 Corinthians 8, beginning in the first verse, We want you to know, brothers, about the grace of God that has been given among the churches of Macedonia. Excuse me. For in a severe test of affliction, their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty have overflowed into a wealth of generosity on their part. For they gave according to their means as I can testify, and beyond their means of their own accord, begging us earnestly for the favor of taking part in the relief of the saints. And this not as we expected, but they gave themselves first to the Lord and then by the will of God to us. And so the Apostle Paul commends them. Look, church, we know this, but it's a good reminder Christ's attitude toward giving was as radical as it gets. He gave up the glories of heaven to come to earth. The amount that he gave up. He gave of everything he had to his very life, even to a people who would reject him. He is a a giver. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. He gave sacrificially. He gave joyfully for the joy that was set before him, despising the shame. He went to the cross for us, Hebrews 12, 2. Paul recognized that mind of Christ among the Philippians, and he commended it. He said, you are exceptional. If this is an area that challenges you in any way, let me say this. Align your mind with the mind of Christ and giving will become, uh, it, it will be natural to you. It will be joyful to you. You will be even moved to give sacrificially. If you're going to have that mindset to give generously, may I say there are just a few thoughts Before we move on to the next point, you must understand that money is amoral, not immoral. Any of you who follow Dave Ramsey have probably heard this before. Money is amoral, not immoral. To think that someone who has a lot of money is somehow wrong, or if you have a lot of money, that's that's just wrong, is wrong. That's a wrong mindset. 
When you have money and you've learned to steward the money you have properly, when you keep yourself out of debt, when you follow a plan known as a budget and you put yourself in a position to handle money well, you have that opportunity to be generous in that way. It is much harder for broke people to be generous in that particular way. If you can't get but the next meal for yourself, you're in a very hard position to get meals for others in need. So to have the mindset of Christ toward giving and to be willing to give all, you must have the right attitude toward it. Money is not evil. The love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. Please do not think yourself spiritually superior because I don't worry about money or I don't think about money or that's not much of an issue. Some people are hung up on money and they're looking at interest rates and how to save money and do this. And somehow you're morally uh, uh, superior or spiritually superior because you're not hung up on all that stuff. Do not spiritualize poverty And do not demonize wealth. And don't do the opposite of that either. Because it is a heart issue. It is a mindset issue. You are positioned to be able to care for others when you have the proper attitude toward it. If you're in debt, get out of debt. I I knew if I got on this, I'd, I'd... Just want to spend all the time. If you're in debt, do everything to get out of debt. Because people in debt are not positioned to be helping others without often doing themselves much more harm. If you haven't learned yet to operate on a budget and to have a plan, start that in your life. Position yourself. I'm talking to many older, mature people who've done this. You know this. This is just... This is just fatherly or grandfatherly type of advice to we who are older. It's just common sense, and it's lacking in many places. Learn to give joyfully. 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 6, a verse we know very well. Each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And so the first thing that we notice in this passage, to have the mindset of Christ toward possessions and provisions would be to recognize that Paul commends that giving and generosity. Now we come into verses 11 and 12, the ones that precede the Superman verse, right? And consider the contentment Paul learned. Do you consider yourself content in life? You remember the famous answer that the wealthiest American ever gave? John D. Rockefeller, right? You remember that one, don't you? How much is enough to make a man happy? What was his answer? Just one more dollar. I will tell you this. As someone who has lived in developing in third world settings for over 30 years, who, who lived it, and then coming back to live in America, most Americans, will you forgive me for saying it this way, don't have a clue about contentment. They just don't have a clue. It is very hard, and it's easy to come back 
and get wrapped up in that myself. I need this. I found myself complaining because I had to use two remote controls. And my daughter was quick to call me an ingrate because the TV and the remote controls were from her. I didn't come back from Samoa with a TV or a remote control. This was my complaint. I wish it could just be one remote. Why do I need this one to turn it on and do the volume and this one to go to the different channels? And then I want to look up something on YouTube and I have to sit there with the arrows. T, H, We need one single remote that does all of this and the kind that I could speak in. Then I'll be happy. I didn't really go that. I'm exaggerating that part of it. But when I said that, Carol did remind me that perhaps I was being ungrateful. What is it that you think you need in order to be content? The Apostle Paul wrote, not that I am speaking of being in need, He's in a prison cell with nothing. He said, not that I'm speaking of being in need. For I have learned, underline that word, circle it, do a point and arrow back to verse 9, what you have heard, what you have seen, what you have learned, what you have received of me. You do these things. He said, I had to learn it. See, contentment has to be learned. It is not natural. The child does not come forth with an attitude of contentment. Any one of us who have raised children know that they do not need to learn whining, complaining, groaning, moaning, griping. They don't have to learn any of that, but they have to learn to say thank you. They have to learn to be content with what they have. It is something that is learned. And the Apostle Paul shares with them, even as he's thanking them and commending them, he's also at the same time reminding them, Not that I have a need. This is my mindset toward things. Jesus said, I have nowhere to lay my head. Foxes have their holes. I have nowhere. He wasn't crying broke. He didn't need that. He was able to be content. (laughs) The king of glory was able to be content in his years on earth and his mission to come for our salvation. Paul said it's something that had to be learned. I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low and I know how to abound in any and every circumstance. I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger. Church, we've got bigger houses but smaller families today than ever before. But we need to buy this house. We need to have that. We need to add this. We need to go in debt to do that. I mean, the way people think, this is just not enough house for us. We're thinking about having another child. You come out with us in Samoa and live in what we lived in. Ask Carol about how big her, her bedroom was. It was just a little bit smaller than her office over there. You know, but we think that if we don't have this and we don't have that, we don't, we, we won't be content. Oh, you, you could be content if you knew my father-in-law when he was alive. If you knew Maui, right, Carol? This isn't in the notes, but I'll just share it with you. That man lived out in Asao village with nothing. 
He wore that same lava lava. It was like a wraparound material every single day. And then Emmy and I would buy him some nice clothes, hoping he would put them on someday. He did. It was in preparation for his funeral. I mean, he was just content in that old lava lava. He was just content to walk up to the plantation and to come back down. He lacked nothing. He worked hard to put his daughter through the best education Samoa could offer. I'm not saying he was complacent or lazy. He was just content. He had this old blue radio, this old plastic radio. The kids, when they were young, would go and try and steal it from him and take it because he always had it. And he was always listening to that little old plastic radio. You know what his pillow was? An ollie. It was two little pieces of wood with a a curved piece of wood on the top. That was his pillow. That's a Samoan pillow. I tried one time to use that so I could be just like them. That was awful. I faked it for like 20 minutes. I pretended I was comfortable. That was awful. Give me a pillow. I say these things because it is so important that we cultivate contentment, that we have the mind of Christ in this, because we could call something a need that really is a greed. I have to have this. I must have this thing. If I just can get that, then I will be happy. We can do with so little. The thing is, you learn contentment, and it's hard, and it takes time, but you could unlearn it so quickly. I mean, all those years in the tropics before 2017, we never had an air conditioner. And then we finally got one in Asao because a missions team was coming and I wanted one air-conditioned room. And after we got that one air conditioner, when the power would go out, as it does often, I would be, I can't believe the power has gone out. How am I going to survive without my air conditioner? Ah. <sighs> I was content for all those years without an air conditioner, just a little fan. And when the power went out, you just took the hand fan because that was life. You could unlearn contentment much more easily than you could learn it. The contentment that Paul learned. Hebrews 13, 5. You don't need to turn there. I'll just read it. Keep your life free from the love of money and be content with what you have for he has said I will never leave you nor forsake you what is a rich truth in that verse I pray that it pops out of the page already that I don't even need to say it see contentment doesn't come from what you have it comes from the one you have See, when you have that sweet relationship with Christ and you realize his presence He'll never leave me nor forsake me. That really is all I need. And so the Apostle Paul can say, I've learned whether I'm abounding or abased, whether I have plenty or I'm down to nothing, I can still be content. How about us? The next time you find yourself complaining about anything, (coughs) screech to a halt in your mind, and say, what am I going to replace that with? I'm not saying the next time you see something wrong that you ignore it. 
This isn't some Pollyanna thing. This is the next time you find yourself complaining, say, what am I going to do with that to be sure that my mind is aligned with the mind of Christ? Let's try to do more of these. (coughs) Now we come to verse 13. See the confidence that Paul possesses. We see the commendation that he gave to the church there for their giving. And we've just seen the contentment that Paul learned. And because of that, that gave him a confidence. Verse 13 cannot be ripped away from this. It can't be a standalone plaque on your wall. Paul is saying, I can do all things. I could be have plenty. I can have nothing. I can abound. I can be totally abased. I can do all All of those things through Christ with strengtheneth me because he is the source of my contentment. How about us? The myth is that on October, what was it, 25th, 24th, 1929, Black Thursday when the market crashed, We've all heard it before, right? On that day, people were jumping out of the windows on the buildings, jumping to their death. And it kind of gets repeated and repeated. It's not true history. There was someone who fell, and there was a reporter there who saw it and recorded it. A younger man named Winston Churchill. He was staying at the hotel right near there. Obviously, he's the one who would later become the prime minister of England. But he saw the body, but that person who fell, fell before the crash. It was hours before the crash, but it led to what we heard. The truth is there were people who took their lives because they lost their material possessions in the market. More of that happened up at 1932 as you study them. And I have a list here of different names and different people to give that example. But people whose confidence is in a market is in money, is in savings, is in investment, is in material possessions. Boy, if that's where your confidence lies, I just feel sorry for you. Amen? Some of the best years of my life, some of the best experiences, I I could give you a list. I, I have a whole bunch of them, but where God brought us down to absolute zero and then moved in and did incredible things. I mean, I remember when I left my job, I was a principal at a school that was non-sectarian and wouldn't allow me to bring my Bible to work. And I knew it was time to, to leave that and go on to another place. So in the middle of the year, I said I would leave at the end of the year in June. But I got no other job. And I was starting a church plant in our living room. And we got down to nothing, church. We got down to zero. I mean, we had cents in the bank account. And Emmy and I and the four little kids, we had one plastic container with that much rice left at the bottom. And Emmy and I were going to cook it and spread it out on the plate and feed the kids. And we weren't going to tell the church. We weren't going to tell anybody of our need. And we were down to zero. That day for the first day in our little church meeting in our living room, there were about 12 people Someone put an envelope into the offering basket that said Reverend Jimmy and the family had $40 in it. Whoo! I was a millionaire with 40 bucks. The neighbors who couldn't stand us and wanted us to get out of renting their place because we were starting a church there, they brought us a 
big old container of baked breadfruit. That's some pretty good stuff. One of the other families, Fale and Heidi Wele, they brought us a pan of roasted chicken and potatoes and carrots. This was all happening as I was going on Sunday morning and just going, I'm just going to preach and do that and we'll figure out the rest afterwards. I mean, we had this big feast. We had this breadfruit. I had 40 bucks. Later that afternoon, no kidding, I opened the freezer and there was a big old fish in a plastic bag with just the, the tail hanging out. And then I got a phone call from Samoa Baptist Academy who said, we heard that you got saved and are on fire for the Lord. And even though they had never had a principal a local principal from there. They had always gotten overseas people. They were in need of a principal. And in one day, I went from however many cents, I'll just pick an arbitrary number, 37 cents left in the bank to having all kinds of food, to having 40 bucks, and to having a job. I have learned to have confidence in him. Amen. And I could give more and more examples. I'll give one very quick one. The only way I could imagine we'll ever get us out to open to a church is if I take that chief's title, which is the last thing I want to do, because you bring lots and lots of gifts to all the chiefs, and you feed the entire village, and it's this huge thing, usually done by a huge Samoan family, but Emmy's an only child. We're going to have to take everything we have to do that. It's just yet another time. And what did God do? It took 18 months, but God opened a closed village that people said can never open, but God can. So this idea of I can do all things through Christ (coughs) who strengthens me comes out of that. It's a confidence the Apostle Paul had because he had Christ confidence. It wasn't self-confidence. I have no confidence in the flesh, even though I have this great pedigree. It was Christ confidence. Notice the credit that Paul gives, and I'll do these last ones quickly. We're following the same pattern as last week. We'll get to some of them. We won't get to the others. But you will go on in your own study and keep being enriched from the book of Philippians. Verses 17 and 18, not that I seek the gift, but I seek the fruit that increases to your credit. Accounting runs in our blood in the Savali family. When I see credit like that, I see it that way. That abounds to your account in the version I'm more familiar with. The Apostle Paul gives them credit for their giving. And it's not that he wants to encourage the giving to get more stuff for himself. Paul understood something (coughs) that many people don't understand today. He understood compounding interest. He understood that, boy, when you give generously, I I will commend that. I will teach you a principle of contentment that comes out of that and is related to that. And I will tell you this. When you give, there is fruit that increases to your credit. You know, in accounting, (coughs) when you receive in money, you debit cash, any accounting person 
will nerd out with me for a second and the rest of you, you don't worry about it. But you debit cash and you either you're going to credit income or you're going to credit perhaps accounts receivable. Hmm. I got thinking about that, taking that accounting thing and putting it in spiritual terms. See, when you give in the way that they did out of their poverty, out of their great need, and they gave of themselves first to the Lord. When you give the way that you give, there's going to be a credit that's set up. And it might be an accounts receivable on the other side. It might be that the Lord blesses you in the here and now. You give because, you know, the old saying, right, you can't outgive God. It might be right in the here and now, or it might be in the then and there. But see, I have great confidence in God that we will receive. We don't give to receive, but we can have a confidence that in giving maturely, wisely, sacrificially, joyfully, and all those kind of things, <coughs> that there's great reward. He says in verse 18, I have received full payment. I just want to unpackage the word full, but I won't. And more, I am well supplied, having received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent, a fragrant offering, listen to this temple language, a fragrant offer, a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God. You're giving, when you have the mind of Christ regarding your possessions and provisions, what you can provide for others, what God will provide for you. Boy, when you have that kind of mindset, it goes up like the prayers of the saints, a sweet odor to God. Think about that, going through Jerusalem and they're doing the sacrifices. Boy, in Samoa, when they do the barbecue... I got Carol's attention again because she knows this. When they prepare that barbecue and then they cook it mm, with the ginger and it's been overnight and it's been in that, what do you call that, Kiko man? What is that? Whatever that is. And you just, oh, you just let that marinate and marinate and marinate and then you cook it. I heard a report long time ago, like you needed to do a big research on this, that the reason... People like to eat the fat and cook the food in the fat is because it tastes good. Duh. (laughs) Do you need research to tell me that? When they take that barbecue and then they cook it, what a smell. That'll that'll make a vegan eat some barbecue. (laughs) I'm being silly, of course. But the smell of that. And that's what it's likened as Paul gives them credit. You sent there a fragrant offering, a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God. In verse 19, and my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. The context that Paul provides, do not rip that verse out of context. Don't do it with verse 13 and don't do it with verse 19. This isn't, oh, I just have this. God's going to provide for everything. God just takes it. Do not take this and turn it into a trite expression. Do not take this and start preaching the prosperity 
gospel. Do not use this as some silly motivational cliche. God will just provide and supply according to the riches of his glory to me, even though I'm a dumb head and I'm going in debt and not budgeting my money and going out to eat every night and uh, spending money all the time on food that's prepared for me instead of cooking some of it myself at home. And I I don't take care of any kind of budget or anything at home, but my God shall supply all my needs according to the riches of his glory. Read the Bible and get the principles of it. If we're going to have the mind of Christ, if we're going to want to be able to give generously, joyfully, even sometimes sacrificially, let's not take this verse out of context and use it as an excuse to preach a shallow prosperity gospel or to be irresponsible ourselves rather than being the good stewards the word of God calls us to be. And then we close not only this message tonight, but the book of Philippians with these final verses. To our God and Father by glory forever and ever. Amen. In verse 20. Let me... Greet every saint in Christ Jesus. So Paul comes to the conclusion with a great giving God glory forever and ever and a great amen. But I have something else to say too. We have to exchange some greetings. Look at these greetings. Greet every saint in Christ Jesus, the apostle Paul writes. Greet every one of the saints there at Philippi. The brothers who are with me greet you. All the saints greet you. I'm here in Rome. I'm in prison. But something's been happening over here too. Because of your partnership in the gospel, because of your giving sacrificially, because of what you are all doing, not just the brothers you sent with Epaphroditus come here and send their greetings along with me, but there are many, many others. And catch this, especially those of Caesar's household where the gospel can penetrate when God's people have the mind of Christ. When they say, we will partner, we will collaborate, we will be co-laborers, we will do that together, and we will remove anything that gets in the way of that and see the gospel go further and further and penetrate places you would never think it could penetrate. Was it just the imperial guards? Was it just those who were chained to Paul in six-hour shifts? Or how far did the gospel penetrate into Caesar's household? When God's people have the mind of Christ and the body of Christ, the gospel can go to places you would never imagine. I close this sermon. I close this service. In the way the Apostle Paul closes the letter, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. And in some other versions, there's another amen there. Amen. Have a great evening. You are dismissed.